um, I, I remember having a, a project for school. I don't, I don't remember what the project was exactly. I, I think it was like some kind of biography of myself or my family. I, I, I think that that's what, um, what the, the goal of it was, although I, I'm having a little bit of trouble remembering exactly. It was when I was like fifth or sixth or seventh grade, somewhere in there, and that was um, longer ago than I would like to admit, and so I, some of the details escaped me, but I do remember that as part of this project, I, I, I needed to tell or wanted to tell what my faith was as part of this, and so I, I, I knew that that we went to church, obviously grew up in the church. My dad was the preacher. And so I thought, hey, my dad would be a perfect person to help me kind of answer this question. So I went to my dad and I asked him, what kind of church are we? That was, that was the question I asked my dad. And his answer was radically unhelpful to me. Uh, his answer was a Christian one. I already knew that. Uh, and so like, I, I began to pester him. like, yeah, but what kind of Christian church? To which his answer was, a Christian one. And this went on for some amount of time. Like, I, I remember growing incredibly frustrated with my father for not helping me with this assignment, with this piece of work I want to do. Uh, what I didn't realize is that my father was trying to teach me something very fundamental about the church. It is very easy uh, over time, it has happened again and again and again for the last 2,000 years where the church has divided itself along all sorts of lines for all sorts of reasons into all sorts of smaller groups. We often refer to them as denominations. And uh, my dad was trying to tell me that what we, what we really are, what we should be, is just one church in unity with each other that the Christian church, no matter what flavor of, of, of church it is, no matter what flavor of theology it ascribes to, no matter what kind of, of denominational system it adheres to, that the church ought to be one. And we have a hard time with that. Um, we have a hard time understanding that. I had a hard time as a child understanding that. I still have a hard time as an adult understanding that. I have a hard time living that out sometimes. Uh, even within inside a single church, even within inside a community like this, we might find that there are any number of things that, that divide us, any number of things that we think differently about, any number of things that we believe differently about when it comes to the Bible or theology or the world or how the church ought to behave in the world. There are any number of ways that within the large church and within a an individual congregation, that, that we might find disunity. Well, as we continue to talk about being a church more like Jesus, one of the things we want to talk about is how to find unity in the church. Um, and so over the next three weeks, we're going to, to try to do that, um, to, to talk about how we, how we build unity, how we find unity in the midst of difference and in the midst of disagreement. And so today, we want to begin with um, the attempt, the effort to find something in common. Uh, we're going to go on to talk about, you know, how we disagree and, and, and how, to, how to heal after disagreement, but let's begin with trying to find something that we can be united on, something that we can come together on, something that we can hold in common. What might that thing be? 
Should we build unity perhaps on what, um, what I and Meg believe as the, as the pastors of the church? Absolutely not. That is a horrible idea, all right? Um, I can't even guarantee you that Meg and I believe exactly the same thing. And, and even if we did, building, uh, um, building unity upon, upon a, a pastors is, well, that's just dangerous. Please don't do that. Um, on any kind of personality. Uh, in fact, we, we think it's probably really, really good that you disagree with us on at least something because I know that I am wrong somewhere. I don't always know where that thing is, but I know I'm wrong about something. Um, and, and so there should be moments um, where, where we, we say, hey, you know what, I, we, don't, we don't really see eye to eye on that. That's Okay. Don't build, try to build unity around um, personalities or around pastors. Well, maybe, maybe we should build unity around um, some of the historic um, things that the church has tried to hold in common, some of the historic creeds, uh, like the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And certainly there are things in those creeds that, that um, Christians of a wide variety might look at and say, well, yes, I, I do believe these things. But not every Christian does, and not every church is a creedal church. In fact, this church is not. Uh, our origins um, come from a non-creedal part of Christianity. Um, in fact, the, the group of churches that um, kind of uh, uh, from which UCC uh, was formed uh, have a saying, no creed but Christ, which in and of itself is a creed. Um, <laughs> it just drives me bonkers. Uh, that we don't realize that this church is that I came from. Uh, and so, so we, don't, we don't, well, creeds might sound really like a nice place to build unity. It doesn't always work that way. Well, what about theology? Should we build unity on theology? Should we build unity on the theology of, of predestination or the end times or creation or original sin or baptism? Well, as it turns out, a lot of Christians believe a lot of different things about a lot of pieces of theology. In fact, almost every piece of theology out there, including, honestly, one of the most basic pieces of theology we sang today is the Trinity, that, that there is one God revealed in three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I, I don't want this to like shock you, make you fall out of your chairs or clutch your pearls or anything, but there are there are Christian groups that don't adhere to Trinitarian theology and still say, we are Christian. We worship the same God. We follow Jesus. Um, and, and historically, those groups have, have, been, have been excommunicated, have been shunned, have been pushed out of the church throughout history um, by various denominations. And so not everyone agrees on theology. Theology, honestly, um, is a terrible place to try to build unity. So where should we build unity instead? Perhaps the scripture. Perhaps the scripture is a place to build unity. And here we're getting closer. Here we're getting closer to a good place to build unity. Um, the scripture, we believe, is the revealed and inspired word of God and has truth for us. However, there are any number of problems with translation, interpretation, an application of the scripture among Christians. And so while the Bible is a great place to, to come to to find common ground, there are still times where the Bible can become divisive instead of unifying. We still need something more fundamental 
to build unity around. Fortunately, God has given us such a thing. God has given us a beautiful and perfect thing for us to begin to build unity on, and Paul talks about it in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the church that he founded, and is a church that is about to come apart at the seams. Uh, If you have read 1 Corinthians at any point lately or in the past, you may have noticed that they have questions about a lot of stuff, and Paul has to do a huge amount of corrective teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, I Often I like to say that, that if you think your church is bad, you haven't lived until you've seen Corinth. Um, like if a church can get something wrong, Corinth has beat you to it, all right? Uh, they, are, they are about to explode um, because they cannot seem to get their act together and don't know what they believe or how to live according to what they believe. And so the Apostle Paul writes to them and says, hey, here are some things that you've really got to fix. Here are some things you've really got to take notice of. Here are some things that you really have to adjust in the life of your church if you're going to survive. And Paul writes to the Corinthian church at about um, between 50 and 55 AD, Paul's probably there around 50 or so um, and writes to the church not terribly long after. Um, and, and so this book actually predates, um, predates the gospel, the written gospel accounts. The gospel is out there, the spoken gospel about Jesus Christ is out there, but nobody's got Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John to turn to yet. And so Paul has to keep writing letters going, hey, I, I know I preached the, about Jesus to you. Here's Here's how to live out the things that I preached. Um, And so he writes this book of Corinthians to talk about all of these different things. And in chapter 15, he really wants to talk about death and the resurrection. This is what he really wants people to know about. Let's talk about death and let's talk about life after death. And the introduction to chapter 15 uh, gives us our place to begin to build unity. So I want to take a look at those verses with you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to begin at verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there. I'll be reading from the New Revised uh, Standard Edition. That's what we use here for the most part. And the words, of course, will be on the wall behind me um, as we go. So here's Paul uh, toward the end of 1 Corinthians, writing to this church that that is having some issues and writing about um, death and new life. He says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news, that word is gospel, by the way, of the gospel, um, that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you, as of first importance, What I, in turn, had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Paul's uh, Paul's name for the Apostle Peter, that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, that's the brother of Jesus. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim and so you have come to believe. This is um, Paul's teaching on the thing that we can center ourselves around. Um, Paul hands to us what is essentially the first core teaching and perhaps the first creed of the early church. Um, experts in, in Greek and uh, who know far more than I do say that there is a section of this piece of text that does not sound like Paul. It is written very differently from how Paul usually does. It's the second half of verse 3 through verse 5. Uh, Drew, could you throw that back up on the screen? Uh, it's the second slide there. This uh, uh, piece of, of writing apparently doesn't originate with Paul. It is something Paul has received and is passing on. All right? He says that a couple of times. I received it, I passed it on. I received it, I passed it on. What is this thing he's received and passed on? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. This is apparently the place where the first church decided um, we have to stand here. This is the thing. This is the thing, out of all the things that we can believe, out of all of the things that we do believe, this is the thing that we have to pass on. This is the core of the good news. This is the core of the gospel. This is our core truth, that Jesus died and was buried, that he was raised and has appeared. By the way, those, those, two, those two couplets go together, died and buried. Buried proves he's dead. Raised and appeared. Appeared proves he's raised. This is, this is the core statement of faith for the church. Jesus has died. That is the truth. We know it's the truth because he was buried. Jesus has been raised. That is the truth. We know it's the truth because he has appeared. This is the thing. This is the thing we're going to hang our hats on. This is the thing that we all believe. In fact, as he writes this to the Corinthian church, he writes it knowing that they already believe it. There is no evidence here in this text that he is trying to convince them of this. In fact, he says, I want to remind you. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you received. They've already received it. In which you are standing in which you are being saved, in which you are holding firmly. They, they have already accepted this truth. Paul is just reminding them of the thing. Paul says, I want to remind you of the thing that is of first importance. There is nothing else that Paul can say in all of, of the writing of 1 Corinthians, and there's a lot that Paul has to say. He wants to talk uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians about idolatry. 
He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about spiritual gifts. He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about finances. He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about sex. He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about um, worship. He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about speaking in tongues. He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about prophecy. He wants to talk in 1 Corinthians about men and women. He wants to talk about a lot of stuff in this book. Paul packs a lot of stuff into 16 chapters. Like it's one right after the other. Boom, 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 boom. But here's the big thing. Here's the first thing. Here's the thing that if Paul could only say one thing, it would be that Jesus died and was buried, that he was raised and appeared. This is the core for Paul, for the Corinthians, for the early church. This is what they believed. And this is good news, Paul says. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that, that Christ was buried and that he, that he has appeared, that he died and that he has been raised. This is the gospel because it saves us. This is the gospel. This is the good news because it means that we have new life. This is the gospel. This is the good news because it means that God is redeeming his people. This is the gospel. This is good news because it means that God loves us and wants a relationship with his people and is making that happen through the person of Jesus Christ. This is good news. And so I wanted to remind you of the first thing, of the central thing, of the thing which we all believe, Paul says, the thing on which we stand, that Christ died and was buried, that he was raised and appeared. And it's not just that he died and was buried and raised and appeared, but Paul twice in that, in that statement of faith, the, the, this early Christian statement that has been passed to Paul and that he passed to the Corinthians, twice in that statement it says that this has happened according to what? The Scriptures. This has happened in accordance with the Scriptures. Uh, now, Paul is not talking about the New Testament. Very little of the New Testament has been written at this point. First uh, Thessalonians, maybe Galatians, not a whole lot else. There's, there's just, there isn't a New Testament at this point. They're still making it up, all right? Not making it up, writing it down. <laughs> that was a bad choice of words. That's on me. They're still writing it. It's not the New Testament he's referring to, it's the Old Testament. Paul says that these things have happened in accordance with the Hebrew Scriptures. In this case, he probably is referring to Isaiah 53, which prophesies the death of, um, of God's Messiah, and Hosea 6, uh, which prophesies um, his resurrection in three days. Paul is, is very aware of his Jewish Bible as a, a Jewish person, as a Jewish teacher, as a Jewish rabbi. This is his Scripture. And so when we talk about Jesus as, as the central thing, Jesus as, as the place we're going to build unity, his death and resurrection as the thing which will unite us, we cannot talk about Jesus divorced from the Scriptures. Cannot do it. Should not do it. Ought not to do it. And it's really, really easy to do it. It's very easy to begin to talk about Jesus without talking about the Scripture. It's very easy to talk about Jesus without actually spending time with Jesus in the Bible. We all have things that we believe about Jesus. 
We all have things that we think that we know about Jesus. We all have things that we think that, that, that Jesus has said. I had a, a friend in high school whose favorite thing Jesus said was um, that God helps those who help themselves, <laughs> which is, by the way, not in Scripture anywhere. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. But he was convinced that that was Jesus' thing. is the thing he loved that Jesus said. Uh, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't talk him out of it. And we do this all the time. We, we, we say, yes, Jesus, but it's a Jesus of our own making because it's a Jesus divorced from the scriptures. And we can't do that. Paul says that this Jesus, this Jesus who is central to our faith, this Jesus who died and who rose, this Jesus is proclaimed according to the scriptures. This is, this is not something we made up. It's not something that, that, that came from our minds, and it's not something that can come from our minds either. It's something that came from God. This is something that God ordained. This is something that God set in motion. This is something that God made happen. This is something God has told us about. This is something God has allowed us to witness. And so our, our, our unity, if we're going to have it, our unity has to be built on the person and work of Jesus. It has to be built on his death and on his resurrection, but it has to be done according to the scriptures. It can't be done just what we think about Jesus or what we would like Jesus to be. It has to be according to the Jesus of the scriptures. And, and, and this faith, this faith that we stand in is a, is a received and transmitted faith. It's a received and passed on kind of faith. I, I love that Paul says so often, I received it. You received it. I passed it on. It was passed on to me. This faith didn't originate with Paul. It didn't originate with the Corinthians. It didn't originate with us. It's a faith that has come from somewhere. It's come from God and it's been witnessed by many. I, I love the long list of witnesses in this passage, right? All of those people that were named. Cephas, and the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time. Uh, and, and then he appeared to James. And then he appeared to all the apostles. I don't know if Paul intends that the 12 and all the apostles are different groups or the same group. I don't, I don't really know what he, he's trying to, to dig at there. Um, your guess is as good as mine. And then, of course, he says, and then he appeared to me as to one untimely born. That word, by the way, if you ever want a really real head trip, dig into the Greek on that word. Um, nobody's 100% sure what Paul means by untimely born, but it is not untimely born. Uh, that's just our best guess. Uh, and Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. And honestly, um, this is one of the things I love about Jesus is that he reveals himself constantly. He's revealing himself, not just to a single person, but to a to groups of people, to multitudes of people, to many witnesses. And, and I think Jesus is still revealing himself to us today. Didn't stop with Paul. Jesus has been revealing himself to the church again and again and again and again. He's been revealing himself through his work. He's been revealing himself through his scripture. He's been revealing himself through his spirit. He's been revealing himself through the body. And this is good news, too, that Jesus continues to reveal himself to us. And so we can have a faith that is built on this Jesus who died and was buried, who was raised and was witnessed. This is what the earliest church decided it was going to take its stand on. This is what the earliest church decided would be the core of its faith. This is what the earliest church 
said, this is the thing that will unite us. This is the thing that we will all come together on. No matter what, this is the thing. Now, later on, um, Peter and John would add to this. It's not just that that Jesus was um, uh, um, crucified and and raised, but that he also lived in the flesh. They would add uh, to that, that he lived in the flesh, was crucified, and, and was raised. And then later on, other people would begin to add to that as well. This teaching about Jesus, and this teaching about Jesus, and this teaching about Jesus. And we have those teachings for us in the scriptures. And, and I don't intend to say that any of those teachings are false or that they're not worthwhile. They absolutely are worthwhile. But at the core of all of those teachings about Jesus remains the thing that we can find unity with each other and with the church on. That Jesus died and that he was raised. In fact, um, that is something that we have decided uh, as a congregation that we will build unity on. Um, On our website are some things that are our core practices and some things that are kind of core to our teaching. Um, Some things that we have said, this is something that we believe as a church. And so I want to share this with you. This is right word for word off of our website. Drew, would you throw that up on the screen? Christ is our center. By embracing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel, we begin the lifelong journey towards becoming more like Jesus in every way. From this posture of deepening surrender to Jesus, we begin to trust in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Good news. This is what we have said good news is. It's the same thing Paul has said that the good news is. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we have said that in this, not only do we have a deepening relationship with God, but we may have a deepening relationship with our brothers and sisters as well. We believe that on Jesus, we may come together. That on Jesus, on his death and on his resurrection, we may find unity. That is good news. Listen, when we build our lives on the wrong things, when the wrong things are at the center of our life, it will always lead us to division. That's bad news. But when we keep the right thing in the center, then perhaps we can build toward unity. And that's good news. So what if we began with Jesus? What if we allowed Jesus to be the center? And not just to start with, but what if we keep coming back to Jesus? What if we keep coming back to Jesus again and again and again? What if we take stock periodically and and say, is Jesus still the center or have I come off kilter? What What if we take time on a regular basis to reorient ourselves around the death and resurrection of Jesus? That this is the thing. This is the thing of first importance. Nothing else gets first importance but this just Jesus. With all of the things that we might disagree on, what if we could find unity here? And and let me just say, there are things we're going to disagree on. There are things we do disagree on. I am 100% sure of it. And what if that's okay? As long as Jesus is at the center. What if, it's, what if it's okay for us to give each other liberty 
in our opinions and in our theologies. So long as we keep coming back to the Jesus who is crucified and buried, who is risen and appeared. I think that that would be very good news. And not just for us, but for a world that is divided on everything that you can imagine to be divided on. Pick any topic. Pick the most mundane thing in the world. Hot wheels are the best. No, matchbox are. Pick anything. Guns. Politics. War. Food scarcity. Economics. Religion. Name it. We're divided on it. What if there was one thing Christians could say, this is where we will find our unity? I think it would be very good news for the world to have a place called the church where it could see a diverse people who believe diverse things coming together because they believe one thing most of all. John Wesley talked about this in... um, in 1765. In fact, almost to the day uh, he wrote these words and preached them in 1765. He said this. He said, men may differ from us in their opinions as well as their expressions and nevertheless be partakers with us of the same precious faith. It is possible that they may not have a distinct apprehension of the very blessing which they enjoy. Their ideas may not be so clear. And yet their experience may be as sound as ours. But still through their opinions, I'm sorry, but still though their opinions, as well as expressions, may be confused and inaccurate, (laughs) their hearts may cleave to God through the son of his love and be truly interested in his righteousness. I got to tell you, I don't always agree with Wesley, but he's right here. I I read this uh, about a week ago for the very first time. I, I had never read these words before. I read this and I had to sit with it for like an hour This is true. Though we may differ on many, many things, though our opinions and expressions may be different, still we may cleave to God through the Son of His love. May that be true for us, may that be true for the church, and may we find unity there. We want to come into a time of communion and continue our worship uh, around the table as we do every week. And, and honestly, communion is one of those places that can be divisive. Uh, how often do you take it? Why do you take it? With what kind of elements do you take it? Unleavened bread only or is leavened okay? Wine only or is grape juice okay? One cup, many cups, dip, sip, Annually, quarterly, once a month, once a week, more? There are a lot of different ideas around communion. And yet we still come to the table together. 
not because of what we believe about the bread and what we believe about the juice, but because of whose table it is. Because of what the table reminds us of. It reminds us of that thing that's of first importance. That Jesus died according to the scriptures and was buried. And that he was raised according to the scriptures and has appeared. And so in unity with each other and with Christians around the world who gather around tables today, we come and we say, we belong to Jesus. He is the center of who we are.